0: Welcome to Season 3, Episode 1 of Governed by God, a biblical look at law, civics, and government. My name is Eric Leopold. Thank you for joining me today. Perhaps this is the first time you've tuned into this series, and if that's the case, I welcome you. Thank you. This podcast is intended to take a look at what is happening uh, among our laws, culture, government here in the United States and in the West in general. Obviously, looking at it from a, a biblical perspective, trying to discern what is good, what is true, what is beautiful, and what is not. Now, typically, I like to begin each episode with a passage of the day, whether it's from the Old or New Testament. Sometimes it's a law, sometimes it's not. Then take a look at it, interpret it, apply it, and then move into whatever main topic is the topic. So, on today's episode... Uh, First, I'm going to cover a a passage of the day, and then we're going to look at some remarks that were made by our Speaker of the House of Representatives, Nancy Pelosi, uh, on the topic of the Inflation Reduction Act, which just passed not too long ago. So it's been about a month since uh, Season 2 ended, so a lot's happened since then, of course, and so we have a lot to talk about. Might not be able to get all of it done today, but we'll go ahead and begin with our Law of the day. Now the passage is Joshua 24, verses 14 through 15, which reads as follows Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So that passage is fairly well known, sometimes often put on a coffee cup or some kind of sign in in, in someone's house or a plaque. But the context here is that Joshua had just given a summary of what God had done for Israel up until that time. Had brought them out of Egypt, had given the two kings of the Amorites, Sihon and Og, into their hands. Uh, he had sent hornets to help drive out the inhabitants, the Amorites. Uh, nature and and the climate had waged war upon the Canaanites and the Amorites and, and the pagans that were living there, and we'll talk more about that later. And then Joshua talks about how Moab tried to curse Israel using Balaam, but then Balaam's donkey uh, spoke to Balaam, and Balaam ended up blessing Israel and cursing Moab, and then God talks about how he gave Israel fields and orchards that had not been theirs and that they had not planted. So he had shown them this this grace that they did not deserve, and the question was, are they going to choose God or not? Who who are they going to serve? And there's no neutrality here. They either are going to choose the one true God, or they're going to choose idols. Some kind of false God, but either way, they're going to serve someone. they're going to serve God or they're going to serve the false gods. Someone's law will be obeyed, and there's always a God over a people, over a system. Now, the application here is is multifaceted; It applies to all peoples, nations, and families, and every individual, family, nation has to choose whom they will serve. Individuals have to choose. Will they repent of their sins and believe the gospel, believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Families, will they go to church? Will they raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? And nations, will they persecute God's people? Will they let them in and treat them nicely? Will they make righteous laws or unrighteous laws? There is no neutrality And everyone has experienced God's common benevolence or common love or common grace. The rain and the sun shines and pours out upon the wicked and the righteous, and the wicked enjoy many blessings that they do not deserve. So everyone has experienced goodness from God. And the question is, whom will they serve? And so that passage is is relevant for us today. Because as we look at our current political climate, I just want to give one example of the fact that there is no real neutrality. And the example I have in mind is when Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, made some remarks on August 12th of this year about the Inflation Reduction Act that had been passed and presumably signed, at this point, has been signed by the president. And maybe these words are just hyperbolic or intended to be emotional, but there's a reason why these words are used, and we need to figure out what's going on here. And I think there's something here that's spiritual and religious that we cannot ignore. So I'm going to play a clip about the ceremony that was held for the Inflation Reduction Act, and here are the words that Speaker Pelosi says:
1: "This is something very special for the American people. From the kitchen table to the Arctic Circle, they our families are protected are are affected. Whether it's the cost of prescription drugs, lowering the cost of prescription drugs. At all, right? at all.
0: So I just want to pause it there." So she begins with, from the kitchen table to the Arctic Circle, and then she goes on to talk about prescription drugs. And I'm not going to spend that much time talking about, uh, you know, the free market and healthcare and, and the drugs. Uh, but it is interesting, that, that that language, that imagery, kitchen table to Arctic Circle, um, you know, why, why mention that? What, is this, what does this have to do with the Arctic Circle? Uh, but we'll find out here shortly.
1: All oh, right. Yes we have waited for this day to come, how long we have fought for it. And again, uh, the uh, subsidies are another yes. way <laughs> The subsidies to make healthcare affordable, can keep it affordable for many more families. So from that standpoint, it's so remarkable. But When we talk about health, we have to talk about the health of our children. Clean air, clean water, and that's what the climate crisis legislation is
0: about. So she calls it the climate crisis legislation. Now I think that's been rolled into and that's part of the Inflation Reduction Act. And she talks about healthcare, and she's using it in terms that are much more broad than going to the doctor or or, or getting the medicine that you need. It's clean air, clean water, um, and so healthcare in you know in big quotes healthcare is basically all of human existence, being able to eat, to drink, to breathe. And of course, certainly that is the bare necessities of, of life, but that's not typically what we mean when we say healthcare. Generally speaking, we're we're thinking about going to the doctor, going to the dentist, um, getting, uh, you know, whatever medicine that we need for a particular sickness or injury or, or whatnot. So, she's already using much broader language than than we would expect. Let's continue.
1: And it reduces the national debt. And it is paid for. (laughs) And it's paid for. It reduces the uh, the deficit. So again, for putting people over politics, I salute all of our members. Just as a matter of history, just a little trivia, more than trivia, but uh, this is like historic because every member in the House and every member in the Senate, Democratic member in the House, Democratic member in the Senate, voted for this <laughs> legislation.
0: So she's obviously celebrating the fact that, hey, we've been unified. All the Democrats did this. They all get kudos for what they've done. But let's see what she has to say about. The other side
1: um, to lower prescription drug costs to lower health care costs to reduce the net na- the deficit and pay for it to lower inflation uh to save the planet
0: right now hold on a second to save the planet i mean okay lower the deficit okay reduce reduce the cost of of prescription drugs Okay, I mean, I could, I could kind of feasibly buy that, right? We have look, in, we'd have to look into the details to see if that really is going to happen, or if it's just kind of on the surface. But then to take it from that level and to say save the planet, so now we've used some serious hyperbolic language here, where this particular piece of legislation, maybe it itself does not save the planet, but, but. She's saying that this is the step. This is saving the planet. This is required for saving the planet. So, I mean, we'll, we'll continue to see where, where it goes from here.
1: And every single Republican in the House and in the Senate voted against
0: it. Okay, so now the Democrats did the right thing, according to Speaker Pelosi. They were on the right side. But every single Republican voted against it. That's in her mind, very troubling, but why?
1: How could they vote against lowering prescription drug costs? How could they vote against helping families with their health care costs? How can they vote against the planet?
0: How could they vote against the planet? Again, okay, we'll talk about the small things, health care costs, prescription drugs. okay, sure, sure we can we can buy that, maybe. But then voting against the planet, the, su- the suggestion being that the Republicans hate the planet in-, in some way, which, I mean, that's a pretty bold statement. Let's-, let's see what else she says.
1: Mother Earth. Mother Earth gets angry from time to time. And uh, this legislation will help us address all of that. But I'm so proud because so much of this bill began in the House. Again, it was a collaboration with the Senate. And I thank thank all of our members.
0: Okay, well, that's really what I wanted to, to focus on, is that last statement. Mother Earth gets angry at times. And this legislation is going to address or alleviate that. Okay, maybe we could argue that that was just uh, hyperbolic language just to get everyone riled up, but but why use that? Why mention Mother Earth? Why talk about it as if there's there's a sin that's going on, and the Republicans are culpable for that because they voted against it, and Mother Earth gets angry, so she's personified. She's personified, and we've transgressed her, and we've 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 transgressed what she has required of us on the planet. And in order to alleviate or to atone for or to appease Mother Earth, this is what we have to do. We have to pass this kind of legislation. Now, that is the language of religion. That is a language of spirituality. Now, does she actually believe in a divine Mother Earth? Maybe, maybe not. We don't really know what she truly believes in her heart of hearts. But certainly that language uh, is powerful enough to resonate with a lot of people or else it wouldn't have been used. You wouldn't use that kind of language um, if people would just like mock you and scoff at you and be like, what are you talking about? Mother Earth? That's ridiculous. We're a a bunch of evolutionists. It's all materialism. There is no such thing as Mother Earth. Well, that's what their worldview would say, but they're not being truly consistent. And so the point in all of this is that we're going to serve somebody. There's going to be a God of the system. Whether you just actually believe in Him or not, or believe in this God or not, or you just pay lip service to it, you're still using the language. The ideas are still there. And I think it's pretty clear that humans know that the world is not perfect. We see our actions. Sometimes our actions harm the creation. We see death and sickness. We see the destruction of certain species, perhaps, extinction. And evolutionists, those who are truly consistent with Darwinian evolutionary theory, cannot account for this feeling. Why should there be a connection between people and the land? Why should we care about the survival of other species? Animals don't really behave this way. Animals will reproduce indiscriminately, and they will hunt indiscriminately. They don't restrain themselves. In order to keep the population of their prey high, and they don't limit their themselves, in order to keep their population low, um, but as humans, we think about the results of our actions long term, for good or for evil, and so uh, from an evolutionary per- perspective, it's actually a good thing that certain species ex- get extinct. Because that's how it works. The strong survive and the weak perish. And that's, isn't that okay? There is really no such thing as good or evil in an evolutionary system. It's just random chance or survival of the fittest. And it's a very impersonal universe. The universe does not care about your feelings or about your species. Okay, it does not care about your survival. And it is what it is. There's no, there's no angering Mother Earth. That is nonsensical to the evolutionary perspective. But the point is, is that, as humans, we have abandoned God, who does establish laws for stewardship. But the desire innate in, in us to take dominion of the earth as we were created to do, that still remains. But it's twisted because of sin. And it can go down one of two paths. It can go towards a, an uncaring domination of the world uh, or, or, or you know, the, the idea of I'm just going to squeeze this thing for every drop I can. I don't care about the impact it might have on the environment or future generations or my neighbor. And the other side of that mistake or twistedness is a self-hatred, the idea that humans are just a, a cancer and that we should be removed, and if, if we remove ourselves or, or die, that would be a blessing to the planet. And that untouched wilderness is better and more beautiful than one that is affected by mankind. Now, both these perspectives are a twisting and a violation of God's design. And so when we abandoned God, something else took his place. Uh, man's willpower and his domination. Now man is his own God and abuses nature. Or we have this Mother Earth, nature personified. She is divine and, and accuses us of sin. And both, both this um, self-hatred and self-deification exist today at the very same time. Because if you think about it, it's kind of strange that on the one hand, We're clamoring for a return to natural, organic, uh, non-genetically modified food. We're pushing green energy and sustainable food. But at the same time, we use technology to mutilate our bodies with transgenderism, uh, undoing what nature has given us, drugs and hormone therapy, or trying to enhance, use technology to enhance our bodies. Uh, cloning and and eugenics to try to uh, manipulate uh, the next generation into perfect mankind. So we're using all this unnatural technology to do these things to us, to ourselves, while at the same time preaching about pure, natural things out there or outside of us. And so what we've done is we just flipped everything upside down. Because apart from God, we make up the rules. So now we idolize creation and destroy the image of God in us. And this is a reversal, or this is a reversal of what's supposed to be the case. We're supposed to steward God's creation, not idolize it. It's not God. It's, it's under God and under our authority. And we're to protect His image bearers, not to destroy the image of God, and we see this clearly. this reversal clearly in Romans one, where the Apostle Paul talks about how the world knew God but did not honor Him. They became futile in their thinking. They exchanged the glory of God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things. And so they exchanged the truth about God for lie. They worship the creature, everything that's created rather than the Creator. And as a result of this, they are given over to unnatural, dishonorable passions and behaviors. And Paul goes on to describe homosexuality of, of men with men, women with women. So they have this attack. They're attacking the image of God upon themselves. And they're not only doing those things, but they're giving approval to those who practice them, and they want others to cheer them on. So nature or created things get idolized in the place of God, and the image of God is dragged down, destroyed, waged war against. And so what we have today in this example clip from from Speaker Pelosi is, and it's present throughout our culture today, is this issue of climate fear, the, the worry of the climate changing, right? But what's interesting is that climate change has always existed, but not in the same way that we would think. Um, In fact, there's climate change all throughout Scripture, all throughout it. And there are probably too many passages to cover in one episode, so I'm going to cover a few, see how far we get, and then we can finish the rest uh, in the next episode. But one passage that's particularly important, uh, we have Exodus chapter 23, Verses 27 through 30. Now, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but in that passage, God tells Israel that he is going to send his terror before Israel into the uh, land of the Canaanites, throw them into confusion, and, and, and drive them away. And he says this in verse 28, And I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites and the Hittites from before you, verse 29. I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little I will drive them out from before you, until you have increased and possessed the land. So we have nature is joining God in waging war against the Canaanites. But it's not the only it's not the only passage that talks about that in Leviticus eighteen. 24 through 28, God reminds Israel that they are to keep his statutes and his rules or else the land will become unclean and it will vomit them out. And that's what it had done to the Canaanites. It had spewed or vomited them out of the land. And if Israel does the same thing that the Canaanites did, then they too will be vomited from the land. We also see in Leviticus 26, just a, so just a few chapters later, the curses that God will bring upon Israel if they don't obey. And this is uh, in 26 verses 18 through 22. Uh, God says, if you don't listen uh, to me, he says, I will discipline you again for your sins. And he says in verse 19, I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze. And your strength shall be spent in vain, for your land shall not yield its increase, and the trees of the land shall not yield their fruit. And that same kind of language appears again in Deuteronomy, where God again reminds Israel uh, that if they violate the covenant, here's, here's what he says. He says this is what will happen. The Lord will make the pestilence stick to you "'until he has consumed you off the land "'that you are entering to take possession of. "'The Lord will strike you with wasting disease "'and with fever, inflammation, and fiery heat, "'and with drought, and with blight, and with mildew. "'They, so these things, shall pursue you until you perish, "'and the heavens over your head shall be bronze, "'and the earth under you shall be iron. "'The Lord will make the rain of your land powder.' From heaven, dust shall come down on you until you are destroyed. Now that is certainly, if anything, climate change. Okay, and it's, it's due to Israel's sin. It would be due to Israel's sin. And this we see this in, in another passage. Uh, in Hosea chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, again, the Lord accuses Israel of their sin. He says that there is no faithfulness, or steadfast love. There's no knowledge of God in the land. They're swearing, lying, murder, stealing, adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. And he says this in verse 3 Therefore the land mourns, and all who dwell in it languish. And also the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, and even the fish of the sea are taken away. Now, this language of birds and, and fish and animals being taken away is not, it's not the only place this is found. It's also found in, in Jeremiah. Uh, and Jeremiah does the same thing, basically calling out Israel's sin and, and calls on them. And he, and he says this, describing what he sees happening to them in the future. He says this, I looked on the earth, and behold, it was without form and void, and to the heavens, and they had no light I looked on the mountains, and behold, they were quaking, so earthquakes, and all the hills moved to and fro. I looked, and behold, there was no man, and all the birds of the air had fled. I looked, and behold, the fruitful land was a desert, and all its cities were laid in ruins before the Lord, before his fierce anger. So the earth is mourning because of the sin of Israel, and the birds, the beasts, the fish, they flee away from them. And Israel is pursued by inflammation, the mildew, the mold, the pestilence, the drought, all these things. And so, what we see here is that because of sin, the land, nature, is waging war against the people. But it's not because nature is God. No, no, no. Because God is the God over nature. And when we sin, we cause God's creation to groan. It wasn't designed to be like this. all right. And so we will get vomited out of the land. And this is true not just for the people of Israel, because it certainly happened to them. But remember, God had said it had already happened to the Canaanites and the Amorites and the Hittites and the Hivites. It happened to them too. So... You cannot say, we cannot say that it doesn't apply to us. It applies to any nation that lives on God's creation. And so there is a sense, of course, in which there is sin, but the sin is not according to Mother Nature, but it's according to God's law, not Mother Nature's law. And it needs to be atoned for, but according to the climate activists and the Mother Nature advocates today, the atonement comes from the blood of man. We have to shed our own blood. We have to kill our babies, reduce the population. We need to have less humans, so maybe more abortion. So our blood is needed to atone for the sins against Mother Nature. More sacrifice is needed. We need to take people's wealth. They need to work harder, pay more money. Okay, There needs to be less freedom, more laws certain laws more control but that's a whole system of faith whereas under the under the christian faith under the true god jesus atones for the sin he makes all things new he has redeemed the world not just individual human hearts but the world um, the answer is not less humans a uh, people are a blessing We are image bearers of God, meant to fill the earth, to multiply, take dominion in the name of Christ. The answer is uh, more freedom, not more control, but freedom of, of property, responsibility, authority. Again, taking dominion of what God has given us. And so, at the end of the day, the arguments for climate change have become not scientific anymore. Now, science has been discarded a long time ago. Now, someone might say that's not fair, you know, that's that's ridiculous. It's it's perfect science. It's, it's clearly scientific. Look at the numbers. Well, sure, let's let's look at the numbers. How would you prove that climate change is happening? You'd have to get a worldwide global climate data from Before the Industrial Revolution, and then you'd have to compare that to global climate data of after the Industrial Revolution to see, have things changed. You would at least need, you know, over 100 years or so of data. But even if you could prove that it was changing, you have to then prove that it's not natural, that it's man-made. How do you do that? Well, you have to first see, does climate change happen naturally or not? Now, the only way to know that is, again, you would need climate, global climate data from thousands of years ago before man really made an impact, right? And then you would need another set of global climate data, let's say 500 years later, just uh, to, to see, does nature does the climate all naturally change over a period of, let's say, 500 years? And we have the Ice Age and things like that, but we don't actually have any data. We just have stories, speculation, maybe some geological data. But obviously, it's common knowledge that an Ice, that an ice Age happens, so there obviously is natural climate change. Okay. But then let's say, okay, well, maybe some percentage of climate change is man-made. How would you know what percentage? are we affecting the climate 10% and it's naturally happening 90% or is it some other disparity some other ratio how would you know again you would have to look at the data from before human impact okay and compare that to the data after human impact but we don't have that data we have a fraction of that data we don't so we can't compare what level of change we are contributing It's just assumed that we are, but there's no actual numbers behind it. But even even if you were to assume that we actually contribute significantly, the question is, what's the solution to the problem? We don't have the data on that. Speculation. Faith. And is the solution done by free market? Natural, you know, natural over the course of time kind of thing? We'll we'll figure it out kind of thing? Or is it done by government power? the wielding of the sword, regulation. Who, who is to say which one is the more effective way? Typically in history, problems are, are better solved on their own through the market and natural processes than they're formed by the government making something happen. So these are things that we need to think about. The, the point is, though, is that regardless of whether Speaker Pelosi was being tongue-in-cheek about it, she was appealing to a religious idea, This concept of Mother Nature, she's angry, we've sinned, we need to atone, we need to make it right. Um, And at the end of the day, there's always going to be a God and there's always going to be a law. Which God and which law that you follow, that's what you must choose that day. Choose whom you will serve. The solution is choosing the one true God and the one true law that truly causes human flourishing and the proper care of the planet, not man-made law that ends up reversing that, idolizing the planet, and destroying the image of God. So, hope that you found this at least a little bit useful, a little bit interesting. Uh, I'd encourage you to think on these things. In, In all that you hear from the realm of politics, look for the fact that there's always a religious belief behind it. And there's no such thing really as neutrality. So thank you again for tuning in. If you have any thoughts, questions, concerns, or want me to cover any additional topics or related topics, please email me at thegbgpodcast.gmail.com. You can also go on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Gab, or Patreon and look for Governed by God and, and contact me there. Certainly, please, I would greatly appreciate any thumbs up, stars, reviews. That is what really gets this out to, to the most people um, and that's really all that, uh, that I want is to do, is to reach as many people as I can. So thank you again for tuning in. And until next time, take care.